Chapter Sixteen of the Flint Heart by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen: The Galloper's Schooling. Charles was up very early to visit the stable where the bottle hung. Hush," said the hot water bottle, putting its finger to its lips. "Don't wake him, for goodness' sake. I have had a truly dreadful night. In fact, I'm more dead than alive." At dawn, when the cocks began to crow, the monster grew quieter, and about the time your grown-up brother John came to fetch the horse, he fell off to sleep. How long it will last, I can't say, and how long I will last, I can't say either. In fact, the Jacky Toad had scratched and nibbled and gnawed and driven his red-hot nails into the victim all night long. But at last, quite worn out with his wicked exertions, he had dropped to sleep at dawn, so that he might regain his strength and begin all over again when he woke up. The first thing, said Charles, is to get the flint heart away from him. Then we shall see what sort of person he really is. Nobody can tell till we take it from him. Now, Bottle, if you're ready, I'll screw your nose off and pull him out. Then put on a pair of those ditcher's gloves that the men use. If you don't, he'll bite you to the bone," said the bottle. But Marsh Galloper did no such thing. He tumbled out of the mouth of the bottle like a sleeping dormouse. Only instead of being russet and soft and cuddly, he was black and hard and bristly. His eyes were shut, and he had curled himself up quite tight, and passed his tail twice around his body. In this attitude, Marsh Galloper looked very much like a pickled walnut, and Charles had leisure to examine his tiny black feet and hands, his tail with a claw at the end like a spider's foot, and the look of determination that sat on his grim and dusky little face. Even in sleep, the flint heart, reduced to the size of a marsh asphodel seed case, hung around his neck, and Charles removed it and returned the Jacky Toad to his prison. But he comforted the hot water bottle as he did so. Be sure, said he, that the thing won't bite and scratch as it used to. Nothing bites and scratches so badly when the flint heart is taken away from it. You may even find that Marsh Galloper is quite a pleasant person when he wakes up, but the bottle doubted this. I don't think so," he answered. And in any case, I hope the fairies will richly reward me for all I've done. The least they can do is to mend you," said Charles, and I feel very hopeful that they will when I tell them how brave you have been. You put new life into me when you say that," answered the other. "I don't ask for impossibilities. Remember, I don't expect them to make me a new bottle. At my age, and after seeing the life I have seen, one is perfectly contented to be second-hand, and no sensible people think any the worse of one for that. We must all come to it. But if they would mend me and polish me up generally. And make me watertight and self-respecting. However, I have no hesitation in saying that 
Such a concatenation is too good to be true. While the bottle was using these absurdly long words, and rubbing his stomach gently as he did so, the flint heart began to grow to its usual size, and Charles fell to wondering what he had better do with it. If you take my advice, you'll fling it into the beechwood, said the bottle. Nobody will find it there, and it will be soon covered up with leaves and forgotten. So Charles, very foolishly, did as he was bidden, and hurled the flint heart into a thick wood that rose behind his father's farm. An hour later he set off as fast as he could for the pixies' holt with his good news. De Quincey's secretary appeared to be expecting him, and when he arrived made use of the magic charm and reduced Charles to fairy size. Then he gave him a letter. It came from the fairy poet and ran as follows. My dear Charles, the good news of your performance last night has reached the court this morning, and you will be glad to hear that the Jackie Toads, on losing their leader, have surrendered at discretion and begged for mercy. The king has decided to forgive them, and the royal Jackie Toad bodyguard has resumed its duties. But Marsh Galloper may not return. He will probably be deported, or thrust out of his native bogland forever. This dreadful sentence should have been passed by the king an hour ago, but the queen, whether wisely or unwisely I will not pretend to say, pleaded with his majesty to think twice before signing the decree. It is now decided that Marsh Galloper be left in your hands for the space of a fortnight, and if during that time you and your sister can teach him a few things worth knowing and improve his character, his language, his manners, and his political opinions, then he may perhaps be allowed to return to his friends. We much regret to hear by secret messenger that you flung away the flint heart again. No respectable bird, beast, fish, or other creature is safe until the horrid thing is destroyed. Do not suppose that you are doing any good by flinging it away. We shall hear of it again only too soon. I remain, my dear Charles, with kind remembrances to Unity and the dog ship, your friend, De Quincey. P.S. 1. I have not attempted to introduce the magic of English prose into this letter, because I find myself in a great hurry this morning, and you wouldn't have appreciated it in any case. P.S. 2. The king talks of making me an O.M. This is the greatest honor you can get in Fairyland, and is much better than being created a duke or an earl or anything of that kind. The letters O.M. stand for Observe Me, and if I get them, I shall have them embroidered on all my coat-tails. I hope you will remark them when next we meet. Mr. De Quincey seems as much pleased with himself as usual, said Charles, and the secretary admitted that it was so. He's making a name fast, he answered, and he's so busy running about in society and reciting his poems at public luncheons and charitable dinners and so on that he hasn't had time to write any new ones. 
I'm glad to hear the King is going to turn him into an O.M., said Charles. And then, much to his surprise, the secretary shut one eye and tapped his nose with his left forefinger. Bunkum, said the secretary, rather bitterly. It was the first time that Charles had ever seen him show a spark of feeling. Then he reversed the charm, and Charles went off home. He thought that the fairies might have called Marsh Galloper back and educated him themselves, but then he saw how great a compliment it was that such a business should have been left in his hands. First Charles had to see what the pupil already knew, and the next thing was to see what Unity and he himself knew. He ran over his own information on the way home, back to Merripit, and was rather depressed to find that it did not amount to much, and of course Unity knew less, being only five and a half. He and Unity had a long talk about it at the next opportunity, and she agreed with him that the first thing was to find out what the Jackie Toad himself knew. They went to the stable and were astonished and pleased to find the bottle and marsh galloper in friendly conversation. In fact, an immense change had come over the galloper. He was humble and contrite and ashamed. At first Charles thought he must be pretending, but this was not so. The Jackie Toad really felt sorry, and since the Flint Heart had been taken from him, he began to improve in every way. So Unity got a mouse trap, which Charles half filled with wet bog moss. Then he ordered March Galloper into it, and the poor fellow obeyed at once, and listened to Charles while he made some remarks. The other Jackie Toads have all said they are sorry, and have all been forgiven, he explained, and the King meant to deport you, which means that you would never have been allowed to go home again. But he has changed his mind, and if we can make you clever enough and improve you enough in a fortnight, you may be allowed to return home, but you will have to pass the examination. The Jackie Toad came out of his moss and showed great dismay and wrung both hands with grief. My poor wife, he said. Dear me, have you got a wife? asked Charles. A wife, but no family, answered the Jackie Toad. Us live under the root of a bog bean, and my wife's niece lives along with us, and us never had no trouble till I picked up thickly dratted stone, and then I got a lot of nonsense in my noddle and went fighting the other pixies, and here I be driven from my home and no hope of getting back, seemingly. There is hope if you will set to work and learn all we can teach you, said Charles. You can't larn me nothing, replied March Toad. I'm a born fool, that's what I be, else I wouldn't be sitting here catched in a mouse-trap. I wonder what you do know, asked Unity. Not only a few things about the bog I lives in. That's no good. Then the bottle spoke. You must know something about the veto, at any rate, he said, because that's what you went fighting for. Good, declared Charles. He must know that. But the Jackie Toad didn't. Be gormed if I can tell ye, he replied. 
You've got to fight for something, if you go fighting at all, so I fought for that. But what 'tis, I haven't a notion." "Then how did you find out there was such a thing?" asked Charles. "From a newspaper," replied Marsh Galloper. "'Twas a newspaper by name of The Poor Man's Friend, what one of they fishermen left by the river. And me and my friend Fire Drake was going that way, and us found it. And Fire Drake's a bit of a scholar, and he read out, Down with the veto! So I thought us would shout the same. As you know nothing, we must begin at the beginning, declared Charles. I shall teach you arithmetic and history and the kings of Israel. My sister Unity will teach you sewing and worsted work and poetry as far as she has got herself. And I, said the hot water bottle, will give you lessons in geography, of which I know more than you might think. I wonder if you'll learn enough in a fortnight, asked Unity. And Marsh Galloper said he feared not. You'll get me pretty well mazed among you, he answered and the hot-water bottle admitted the truth of it. Yes, yes, I see a danger there, he said. If we try to teach him too much, he will burst somewhere, as I did. I wonder what we'd better leave out, asked Unity. Sewing, suggested Marsh Galloper. Anything else, inquired Charles. The kings of Israel, said Marsh Galloper. I'll have a dash at the rest though goodness knows whether my thinking parts will stand it. It was arranged that lessons should begin on the following day. They found a large airy biscuit tin for the galloper to live in while he was being educated, and they gave him fresh bog moss every second day, and half an old marmalade jar of wet mud every evening. But two things troubled him. He could not light his lantern, and he could not write a letter to his wife. So they tried to cheer him up, and told him that if he worked hard he would soon know enough to write to her. But this, unfortunately, did not comfort him in the least, because, as he explained, even if he did write to her, she couldn't read it. And here the chapter ends. But there is one small thing to mention before we go on, so I will say it at once, that we need not interfere with the next chapter. The bottle about this time asked Charles and Unity a favor. Everything has a name, he said, and I think I ought to have one also. I shall feel more important then. They quite agreed with him, and asked him what he would like to be called. Something to remind me of the fatherland, he answered. Of course, by the fatherland, I mean Germany, where I was made. How would Potsdam do? No, said Charles, I don't like the sound of it. The bottle reflected. May I be called William, then, he asked. No, said Charles, that's my father's name. How would Bismarck do, suggested the bottle. And Charles agreed to do this so in future Bismarck became his name. It was rather a large name for a humble hot-water bottle out of repair, but nobody was hurt, and I never heard that he brought any discredit upon it. End of chapter 16